the Genesis Foundation approaches its 20th anniversary. And during those 20 years, it has played a major transformative role in the UK art scene by partnering with many of the country's leading arts organisations to provide training and mentoring opportunities for several thousand artists, actors, playwrights, directors and musicians. Art is the cornerstone of all civilizations, says the Foundation's founder and chairman, John Studzinski, from transforming lives to building confidence and self-esteem to creating employment. One of the musicians whose work has been supported by the Genesis Foundation is the composer Sir James Macmillan, whose setting of the Stabat Mater, a Genesis Foundation commission for the conductor Harry Christophers and the Sixteen, was performed in the Sistine Chapel in the spring of 2018 and streamed to a worldwide audience of millions. Sir James's latest Genesis Foundation commission is a large-scale choral symphony entitled Le Grand Inconnu, which will be performed at the Edinburgh International Festival by the work's dedicatees, Harry Christophers and the Sixteen, who will be joined by members of Genesis Sixteen and the Scottish Chamber Orchestra. In this Genesis Foundation 20 podcast, Sir James is joined in conversation by his eminence, Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the Archbishop of Westminster. James, it's delightful to see you again. And, of course, your presence brings back those wonderful memories from the Sistine Chapel when there was that unforgettable performance of the Stabat Mater that you'd composed, surrounded in that visual imagery. In a way, it just enhanced the depth of, of what you evoked in that music, of a very, very profound human experience of Mary, mother, and a broken dead son. But now you've done something quite different. Now you've written music about the Holy Spirit, who is almost impossible to visualise. So I just wonder, have you thought about the Holy Spirit? Because we all do, but you really had a challenge. Mm. Well, yes, you're right. First of all, they're two very different pieces. Uh, with the Stabat Mater, I had a text, a time-honoured text, that had been set by composers through the centuries. It's a marvellous way of telling the passion story seen through Mary's eyes, positing Mary at the centre of it with her son, uh, a mother's grief and so on. And to go t- from that towards something that is much less well-travelled by composers, I suppose, and there's no set text, uh, was a huge change, change in direction. However, the combining factors, the, the, the linking factors here were, of course, the fact that the music has been written for the 16 again, Harry Christopher's amazing choir, uh, and some extras, and John Suzinski, who whose idea initially led to the composition of the Stabat Mater, and now, indeed, this new piece about the Holy Spirit, and, and that in itself is interesting because Harry Christophers and I have a very good working relationship now and his choir perform a lot of my music. But John's association with the Sixteen and now his interest in me have led to some vital three-way conversations. And in fact, John said initially to Harry and myself there was no modern setting of the Stabat Mater he was aware of, could there be one? And then this uh, subsequent conversation about why artists and particular composers don't explore the Holy Spirit has led to another conversation and uh, and indeed a brand new piece, a bigger piece than the Stabat Mater. And John gave me this wonderful book to contemplate on the Holy Spirit by the Belgian Carmelite Wilfred Stinnison, 
And that got me thinking, reflecting, looking at texts and so on. The title of this verse, or the subtitle of my fifth symphony, is Le Grand Inconnu, the French for the Great Unknown, uh, but it actually refers to, in, in the French spiritual tr- tradition, the Holy Spirit, but we don't really have a similar term. In the, Eng- in the English uh, tradition, uh, I, I searched to see if, we, if there were theologians or religious men and women who'd used it in English, and I couldn't find it. But in, in French, they use it a lot, and they know what it, what it is. They, they even capitalise the, the word inconnu. And I found this immensely inspiring, because the third person is the one that seems to be unknowable. The third person, we know the Father, we know the Son, what on earth is the, the Holy Spirit? And my concept of the Holy Spirit is basically shaped by childhood hymns, some of which I've, I've actually set eventually come Holy Ghost. As you are called the paraclete, best gift of God, God above, the living spring, the living fire, sweet unction and true love. I mean, I've been singing that since I was about five years old, oh, yeah. and I probably didn't know what it meant. And the other and one as well, Veni Sancti Spiritus, et emite celitus, nuches tuiranium. Do you know, James, perhaps there is an echo of the great unknown in that whole theme of the cloud of unknowing. It's not unknown, but it's it's more a state of unknowing. And I just wonder sometimes whether in a very Western understanding and a kind of almost semi-scientific understanding, knowledge is possession. When I have knowledge of something, I've conquered it. I've, I've got it within my grasp. I've got it within my understanding. I can now begin to use it, manipulate it, change it, develop it. And I think in that sense particularly, the Holy Spirit is unknowable. It is unconquerable. It cannot be taken as a possession. It cannot become a possession. And the cloud of unknowing is is the search to be possessed rather than to possess through knowledge. And, And I think that, to me, is where the Holy Spirit, working in the church, working in a life, always pushes the boundaries, always, as it were, breaks the certainties from a human point of view. And therefore is always a summons to something more. It's quite interesting, in the Gospel of St. John, Jesus says that the the paraclete will remind you and the paraclete will show you how to make judgments. It will show you the ways in which the world was wrong. And and it's that spirit in the language and the thoughts of Pope Francis which is always inspiring discernment. That's one of his favourite words that we have to discern what the next step of God for us is, the next step in our journey, the next thing that challenges us, or whatever. But he's So he's always wanting us not to be confined by the surety of knowledge, but always to be open to a discernment which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's uncomfortable. And some people today react very badly to it. And they say they want the certainty of knowledge. But I think, true to to the to the Holy Spirit, He is saying, actually, this is bigger than that, and the Holy Spirit will teach us where we're wrong, and will teach us what is true love and true, and the truth. So, so there's an uncomfortable element because we're going to move into something that is unknown or cloud of unknowing. 
It's easy for, for Christians and non-Christians, I suppose, to, to imagine the father and the son. Uh, one was a, a human being who uh, was part of our lives, was part of history. Uh, the father we can relate to, perhaps. We all have fathers. But the Holy Spirit, uh, how on earth does that fit in? It's such a, a mystery. Strangely mm. enough, I think it's the, th- it's the third person of the Trinity that possibly contentiously perhaps can perhaps speak to our modern world because he is so mysterious because he's so unknown and because certainly through the world of music people reflect on spirituality a lot spirituality of the art spirituality of music perhaps it's at the time is right to posit a christian understanding of what that spirit is into a musical culture that's very interesting because i suppose i would begin thinking about the holy spirit right from the book of Genesis and that spirit of God, I think the phrase is hovering over the chaos. So in that opening up of biblical revelation, you've got this sense of the power of God bringing order into chaos. And I guess what you're saying that music sometimes does that. You know, we can hear music and in a way that is beyond words kind of restores a sense of proportion or balance or insight into tumultuous lives. And in a way, that's the first opening that we have towards the Holy Spirit, that it is the creative power of God which becomes visible some way in a, an ordering, in, a, in a, a kind of poise in creation, in something that displays in a purpose and in a meaning and and I think also gives the energy for it because mm. that book you refer to that's that's about fire the fire of God's love and I sometimes think of that power of the Holy Spirit that brings an ordered world out of chaos a cosmos out of chaos can do the same in our lives and it, the Holy Spirit in a way is like the wind that can move a ship forward Uh, But the ship has to have its sails properly set if it's going to catch the wind. So the wind is there. The Holy Spirit is there. If we're going to catch that energy, as it were, allow that energy to give a shape to our lives, we have to have our sails set. Mm. We have to be able to catch it somehow. You're probably aware of this wonderful letter that Saint and Pope John Paul II wrote to the artists yes. of the world, a letter to yeah. the artists in 1999, mm. in which he, and it wasn't just a letter to Catholic artists, it was no. a letter to everyone that's involved in the arts, and he drew attention to the fact that we're all involved in a kind of reflection of that original act of creation, the, 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 the breath moving over the waters, that original breath of inspiration uh, is being reflected and resounded and re- retread and rebreathed through history and artists have this special ability he said to reflect and to see that to see something of what it means to be the creator mm. and that puts a huge uh, responsibility on all our shoulders but it's been a great inspiration for me and many uh, other artists and this idea of the breath it's there in the text in fact before I even started thinking about what I was going to do what text I was going to set how I was going to set it I thought of these words that are there in different languages about breath about water and about fire 
the three elements that are associated with the Holy Spirit. And the very first sound that came to mind was ruach, or ruach, which is the Hebrew word for breath. And Stinnison explores the meaning of that, the implications of ruach, and the, the Greek version of the same word, pneuma, and then the Latin word, spiritus. Mm. And that, that was my starting point. Mm. I had mm. no idea what I was going to set, but I knew I was going to set those three words. Yeah. And I knew the sounds of those words would figure a lot in the way that uh, I, I set it. And, and similarly, when I came to living water, in Hebrew, mayim chayim, in Greek, zao, in fact, that's the second movement's title, and in Latin, aquam viventum. And the last movement, fire, the Hebrew word is esh, the Greek word is pir, and then I've played about a bit with inye vel inye, fire or fire, which is a reflection of something that T.S. Eliot said. So I've got the three there, and they're all sounds to me, sounds to be made into music before I even got to St. John of the Cross and the, the bits of scripture that eventually appeared. Yeah. See, now, what that immediately brings to my mind is the motto of the English college in Rome where I was formed to be a priest, because that is inyam venimitere in terum. I have come to bring fire to the earth. And that's right at the heart, I think, of why Christ comes, that's what he says, and what then the Christian is called to be, is to be a spot, something of that fire of the Spirit. And there are wonderful reflections on that imagery of fire, that it's it's something that actually can counter the, the abyss of evil in the world. Mm. That here is a light, here is an energy, here is a fire that can help us stand in the face of all the terrible things that make up our history, make up our personalities, true. And, and so that, that energy, that fire, that vitality is so close, I think, to my understanding too. There's another word that immediately comes to my mind in, when anybody says the Holy Spirit, and that's the other word that Jesus uses in the Gospel of St. John, of paraclete, you know, the paracletus. And, and I understand that that has a, quite a, an interesting background because it really, probably the commonest indication of its meaning would be to talk about a defence lawyer. The paracletus mm. is someone who will speak up for me, who will be at my side, who will never leave me, mm. who will plead my cause, who will you know, make my case. And as Jesus physically leaves this world, he says, you'll have a paracletus. You will always have somebody with you. Mm. And it's that, that sense of the closeness of God uh, is that other side. There's the power side, there's the creative side, but there's also the closeness of God to us. Mm. That is um, very, very much part of the meaning of the word spirit. I think they come together, as been explained to me, to go back to the ruah, to the breath. God is as close to me as my breathing in and out. And that's a kind of an image of the continuing presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's the essence of prayer, is to try and allow, create the space within my heart, within my life that allows that Spirit of God to become my breathing in and out. There's been some reflection uh, or speculation about why composers in particular haven't explored the, the Holy Spirit very much beyond the wonderful liturgical settings that exist through history. But they're, they're liturgical works, they're there mm. for, for yeah. prayer and mm. the song of the church, etc. But apart from the first movement of Mahler's Eighth Symphony, I can't think of anything else uh, any other composer that has tread these 
paths, and maybe the same is there in uh, visual imagery as well, that we, we can't quite get a, a handle on what this this person is, so we paint him as a, a cloud or as a bird mm. uh, and so on. I was just thinking, I mean, the very first sound in my symphony is of the choir breathing in and breathing out yeah. before we even hear okay. the word rua. Okay. And in fact, the last line uh, is from Thessalonians, spiritum noliti extinguere, quench not the spirit, that uh, that the spirit will never be destroyed. Yeah. Sometimes, to go back to what you are saying before about Father, Son and Holy Spirit, it's a strange thing that this utter mystery of God is yet opened up to us by God's graciousness in these names and these images and this relationship because after all what the mystery of the trinity tells us is that god is a living relational being not a totem pole not an idol but a living relational being and and the son is the expression of god the self-expression the word from all eternity and the holy spirit is the love that dynamically flows between father and son and, and the whole business of creation is that this, of its nature, is outward going. It breathes outward. Mm-hmm. And therefore it's through that word and the power of the Holy Spirit that we call God creator. And that through that word then made flesh and then releasing of the Holy Spirit, as we like to say, from the side of the crucified Christ, that the recreation is done and the way forward to our home is energised, is given the chance to go forward. So, I mean, for me, all of this is is inextricably to do with my faith. And I just wonder, as you as a composer, do you write from your faith or do you have a a slightly detached stance and, you know, see this as a a linguistic challenge and, and a challenge of the imagination uh, and you take these all these elements and look at them a little bit objectively and say, now, how can I put that to music? Or is this something that, like, I struggle to find words to express my faith? Mm. Do you struggle to find music to express your faith? I think I, 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 I do it from all of the above. Uh, so, yes, I write from a position of faith, but one has to detach yourself at some stage um, because one is constructing a a work of art and it needs a degree of objectivity. Uh, It's not to say you park the faith in a box while you write the music, certainly not, but um, the the, the inspiration, the reason I do this is because I'm a Catholic. I think it's as simple as that. Uh, And I I know that many of my colleagues, uh, good colleagues who are who don't share the faith, can write sacred music. And I think that's a great gift. It's a two-way gift. It's something that our civilization has given the world so that agnostics and atheists can actually set the great text themselves and feel it's part of their culture. But it's a gift back from them to the world. It's God's gift to, to the world. And I write from a position of acknowledging the presence of God. I write from a position of silence before God, Music begins in silence, music grows out of silence and and I think composers recognise that in that silence, which is not absence, it's not a nihil, it's presence and that presence, for me at least, this composer is is God itself. Mm-hmm. Beyond that though, it's music is an abstract form as to work and, and even the most uh, complicated 
and deeply felt ideas have to be communicated competently and, mm. and with a, a knowledge of how music works. So playing between the two, the faith and the abstraction, is, is a constant joy for me. I know this might sound like a bit of a sidetrack, but what listening to you reminds me of those incredibly moving moments, distressing moments, as we saw on the television, the cathedral in Paris going up in flames, Notre Dame in flames. And as the news bulletins went round the streets, there were many, many thousands of people there watching awestruck, horrified, some in tears. And there were other smaller groups who were there praying and singing. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, there's a picture of what faith is about, that what those people who had the words and the music of faith were doing was giving voice to what was deepest mm -hmm. in the hearts of everybody. Yeah. Uh, but they didn't, they, maybe they'd lost the habit or they weren't, didn't have a handle still yeah. on how to express those deepest human yearnings and realities and openness. Mm -hmm. And that's what came to my mind as you talked about that relationship between, hesitate to use the word, but the skilled technique of writing music and the depth of the human spirit informed by faith that you want to bring together. The curious thing about the world of music is that composers have never really lost that search for the sacred. Mm. In modernity, you can see the, the connection between religion and, and, and art disappearing, and you'd half expected it to happen in music, but it hasn't. There's so many of the great composers through the 20th and now 21st centuries were profoundly religious men and women. Stravinsky was as conservative as in, his, in his theology as he was revolutionary in his music making. He, he fell in love with the Catholicism in the West, but he was deeply orthodox. He wrote, he set the Psalms, he set the Mass, mm. set little prayers. Schoenberg, the other opposite polar figure in early modernism, reconverted to a practicing Judaism after he left Germany in the 1930s, and his later work reflects Jewish culture, Jewish heritage, Jewish theology. John Cage chose to study with him, and, and he found his own way to the sect through the ideas and re indeed religions of the Far East. His uh, notorious and famous piece 433, which is four minutes 33 seconds of silence, it's a kind of provocation to our listening culture and a, and a lack of sensibilities. The original title for that piece was Silent Prayer. Mm. So right through modernism and modernity in music, Messiaen, of course, the great French Catholic, Schnitke, and the post-Shostakovich uh, Russians who came after him, uh, they're all searching for the sacred. And, and I, I certainly never have felt alone being a, 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 a believing composer because there's this hinterland, not just in the deep past, but right in the, in, in the 20th and now 21st centuries, of so many different kind of composers forging a path to try to re-sanctify what they're doing in the arts. So you, you're talking, I think, about music as the language of the spirit. I think so. I think it comes back to that. M yeah. Many music lovers will say that music is a, the most spiritual of the arts, yeah. and yeah. whether they're yeah. conventional or religious or not, they'll, speak, they'll use that word, spiritual, yeah. uh, to account for the impact of music. So in a way, there is something utterly coherent in trying to make music the language of the Holy Spirit. 
It's absolutely coherent. Absolutely. It seems yeah. the, 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 the most obvious thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's the, the, the logical these, conclusion yeah. of yeah. its language. Yeah. I mean, um, musicians would recognise that uh, these three elements are ripe for musical portrayal. In fact, people have, through history, portrayed fire sure, yeah, in yeah. music yeah. and water in music and indeed the breath yeah. in music. So yeah. the culture is there, the civilization. Has, has already painted pictures and sound. One other thing, James, if I may, in Stabat Mater, there were some wonderfully lyrical passages which were deeply consoling. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, part of the, certainly the liturgical language of the Holy Spirit, and indeed, you know, the, the discourse of Jesus before he dies, he speaks of the Holy Spirit as the comforter, mm. Now, will I find comfort somewhere in the symphony? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would think so. This is a big piece, and there's an awful lot of ground to cover. It, it's a journey, mm-hmm. and comfort, as well as love, and um, enlightenment, and wisdom, and all the gifts associated with the Holy Spirit. I would hope they're all there. Well, I look forward enormously to hearing it in August. James, um, thank you very much indeed, and I'd like to thank John Studzinski and and Harry Christopher and the 16 for all the work that, that this demands, but I look forward to it so much. And Sir James McMillan's previous Genesis Foundation commission, his setting of the Stabat Mater, has been recorded by the 16 and Harry Christophers with the Britain Symphonia and is available on the Coro label. For more information about the Genesis Foundation and its partners, please visit genesisfoundation.org.uk.